Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, July 7th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, abortion is almost completely banned in Mississippi. What now? Then the future of Ferris Street. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's trigger law to ban almost all abortions takes effect today, and it's putting the state's last abortion clinic out of business. The Jackson Women's Health Organization, also known as the Pink House, has provided reproductive health services to Mississippi women for decades. Now it'll undergo great change as it seeks to find traction in a state and country with significant limits on abortion access. Diane Durses owns the clinic. She brought legal action last week in an attempt to block Mississippi's abortion ban from taking effect. The effort was unsuccessful, and Durses told us yesterday she wasn't surprised. Well, we expected that. You know, uh, at this point, you, you do everything that you can so that you can always look back and say we did everything possible. So it, um, prior rulings had stated that there was a right to um, abortion in the, in the state constitution, and I guess they, that, that has changed over the years. What are your next moves at this point? Uh, we're moving to Las Cruces and to other states where uh, abortion is still legal because women don't stop the need for abortion just because the state doesn't offer it. So this evening, your clinic will close? That's correct. That's correct. Are folks there packing up now? Uh, yes, and tomorrow. And, um, you know, the, the phones will be open to, so that we can make appointments for women uh, at the closest or refer them to the closest uh, clinics available to them. So that'll, that'll be in place for some time. Are you going to the clinic? No. No. Is it heartbreaking for you? It's heartbreaking for the numbers of women who no longer have access. You know, um, the Pink House is just a building. The spirit is in the women who lived within are moving on to other clinics and uh, providing safe services for women around the country. And, And that's what we're putting our efforts to right now. How long has that clinic been open? It is opening this week. <laughs> well, I mean the pink week. house. How yeah. long has the pink house been open? The pink house has been open since uh, 98, I believe. Susan Hill opened it, and when she died, uh, I purchased it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a... It's a um, it's been here, and it's certainly seen many, many women in Mississippi. Now, when you talk about, states. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and surrounding states. When you talk about opening this new clinic, is this in Mexico? It is, New Mexico. New Mexico. New Mexico, uh-huh. And it opens today? 
It opens today. There's staff that are going from the pink house to pink house west. Um, in New Mexico, we still have a clinic in Columbus, Georgia, um, Bristol, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, and Baltimore, Maryland. Can so you still we, perform the procedure in all of those locations? We can. We can and all. The phones are ringing off the hook with women who have, are finally are waking up and realizing that they don't have um, medical services available in their state, and they are frantic with trying to find one that they can reach. It's a horrible situation for the United States of America to put women in. This clinic that's opening today in Mexico, is it literally going to be a pink house like the one in Jackson? It's not pink yet, um, but it is uh, going to be a clinic that sees women throughout the country. Um, and I'm sure we'll have other services, just like the Pink House did, GYN, birth control. But it is primarily going to be an abortion clinic so that women in the South realize the entire swath of the South no longer offers this service. So women are forced to travel hundreds and thousands of miles to obtain medical care. In this entire issue, we've heard very little about the accountability of men. You're absolutely correct. You're not going to hear about the accountability of men, you know, because this falls squarely on a woman's shoulders, just like childbirth does. It's, um, it, there's a glaring absence of that, and there will continue to be. But um, this is not to say there are not men who are supportive of, of reproductive rights, but it is a glaring absence, as you point out. What do you think would make a difference to change that? Is there a way to change it? I think what you're going to see is when men are forced into parenthood, as women are and will be with these laws, uh, I think perhaps we'll see a, a big difference there. You know, no one thinks they're going to need the service until they find themselves or someone they love finds themselves in this position. Now, this this is something that happens to other people, not someone we know. And um, when you wake up one morning and your chest has two little stripes on it, that's when reality comes in. So not, not the way that one needs to mature, for sure. Dursis owns the Jackson Women's Health Organization. More on the future of reproductive care after the break. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The trigger law that takes effect today all but erases abortion access in Mississippi. This, as the landscape of family planning care in the state remains complex and often uneven. That's according to Dr. Charlene Collier. She's an obstetrician and gynecologist at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Comprehensive 
access to birth control is certainly more important now than ever that um, Roe v. Wade has been overturned and we are going to face increasing challenges related to unplanned pregnancy here in Mississippi and across the country. So having access to birth control, of course, should be all of our goals to prevent unplanned pregnancy. Um, Sadly, limited access remains a major problem in our state. Uh, I can't say I've seen an increased uptake, you know, in this short time, but we have to be prepared for that across our state. And we already know there is limited access to the full scope and full range of birth control choices, which um, based upon insurance coverage, um, provider experience, uh, cost, a number of barriers still exist that not every person has the same options as uh, of all that may be available to them. So this was a challenge even before the loss of abortion access in our state. So it, 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 remains, a, it a, remains a challenge now that we all who provide contraceptive care should be looking to expand our access and services. So would it be accurate to say that there are a large number of young women who are getting pregnant because they don't have access to birth control? I would say given the overall rates of unplanned pregnancy being anywhere from 50 to 60 percent, we know that regular access and use of of contraception is has always remained a challenge, particularly in Mississippi, where many of our students aren't even educated about using birth control. Um, and so often I'm seeing people whose first use is after their first unplanned pregnancy. Um, many are unaware that they are able to use the full spectrum of contraceptive options. There's still many myths out there that are perpetuated even by medical providers like uh, IUDs can't be used by young people or people who haven't had babies before. That's simply not true, but many people continue to say that to to um, people seeking birth control or limit their access to the full scope and spectrum of, of birth control choices. So sometimes it may be related to health insurance. Sometimes it's related to cost. Sometimes it's related to what a provider may be um, willing or able to offer. So Access is a very broad issue that goes beyond just insurance or cost, but includes the barriers that may be, you know, placed up within an office when somebody reaches medical care. So absolutely, there will be unplanned pregnancies, as there always have been, that relate to not being able to access the contraceptive method of choice. We want people to, you know, be able to use the birth control that is best for them. Um, and so being able to be counseled uh, appropriately and educated on that full, um, on their options is very important. Um, being educated in a way that's based upon science and evidence is very important. And so that is an ongoing challenge for many um, people seeking birth control in our state. When you talk about the full scope of birth control, can you give us an example of what you mean? The types. Sure. So there are a menu of options that people can choose from, and people should be educated on all those choices and can make the best choice based upon their desires for preventing pregnancy, the side effects they may have, the medical conditions they have. By far and away, there is a safe method of birth control 
for nearly every person or every medical condition one can imagine. The CDC actually puts out a completely comprehensive guideline going through almost every medical condition, and there is typically some form of birth control that's safe for every situation um, that you can find. And sometimes you do have to work with a trained uh, provider to identify the safest method, but there are an array of methods that meet, you know, a number of patient needs. So that's kind of the first thing to know. And even when there are risks associated with the birth control method, uh, pregnancy tends to be less safe than any form of birth control. So if there is a risk of a birth control from the hormones, from, from the method itself, Pregnancy often is a higher risk, so we often hear, okay, there can be a risk of blood clots or um, blood pressure problems with birth control. Those are higher with pregnancy. So, you know, sometimes there are misperceptions over the risks that go along with birth control. That's why it's really important that patients receive comprehensive evidence-based education on their contraceptive choices. But we have a full range of options from IUDs or implants that go in the arm. IUDs can go in the uterus. Those work by preventing pregnancy um, through a a number of methods. Um, They range from anywhere from three years in use all the way up to 10 years in use. There's methods that go under the skin in the arm. That's called a subdermal implant. Those can work up to three years. Uh, Then we have shots or Depo-Provera. We have patches, vaginal rings, pills, Um, Then you get into methods that work by um, barrier methods like condoms or uh, spermicides that work by um, killing sperm. So there's a full range of menu options. And what we do is work by that person's preferences. We talk to them about what their interests, wishes, and desires are and try to match the choice that they make with, with what's safest for them given their medical conditions and really let them choose. And that's giving people... Um, you know, not what, you know, me as a provider think is best for them, but again, uh, providing a full spectrum of counseling and, and using that patient's uh, preferences to help guide them towards their best options. What do you see as your challenges and concerns now that uh, Roe v. Wade's overturned and, as you mentioned, there is poor education and access to birth control, but there will still be pregnancies? Um, education is, is critical. People need to know what their options are. They can't, you know, base their choices on myths or, um, or just lack of understanding. So that's where education comes in. Um, and then ensuring that we have enough medical providers who are willing to offer evidence-based contraceptive choices. Thankfully, there are you know, new services even available virtually or digitally where people can order online and have things delivered to their door when they're things like pills or patches. When you're getting into procedural uh, control methods like IUDs, people sometimes have to travel and we need to make sure there's access to same-day uh, contraception when, when, when it's safe and people are able to do it. So I think we need better awareness so people know if their provider is comfortable um, doing full-spectrum full contraception, uh, patients should be, and, and people need to know uh, if their local provider is, is willing to do those things because we, um, it, it is not necessarily a guarantee for seeing someone that they are able to, to do the full spectrum of contraceptive choices. But education is certainly critical and access is certainly critical. And 
there are programs in our state, like our uh, Title X program we have um, that works on increasing access. The, uh, their nonprofits like Converge is a new uh, program in Mississippi that's dedicated to expanding access. Our State Department of Health remains committed to that. So people can go to trusted resources to identify where they can um, get both information and, and where they can get access um, to birth control. Dr. Charlene Collier is an obstetrician and gynecologist at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Coming up, the future of Ferris Street. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Fifty years ago in Jackson, Ferris Street was home to a thriving black-owned business community. Restaurants, stores, and doctor's offices stretched across the nine blocks. But after segregation ended in the 60s, nearly all of those stores shuttered and physically crumbled. But Stephen Basaha and Shalina Chatlani of the Gulf States Newsroom report some business leaders have stayed, while others are investing to bring life back to this historic area. Oh, that smell. Yeah, that smells really good. It smells like bacon. I love it. It's not bacon, but smoked sausage burgers and pig ears sizzling on the stove. It's lunch hour, and scores of customers shuffle into the Big Apple Inn. Including us. In the back, owner Gino Lee is doing the prep work. He takes out a big floppy pig ear and cuts it in half. Normally, they'd boil these for days to make them edible. Now we pressure cook them, and when you pressure cook a pig ear, it only takes a half an hour. And this is what it looks like when it's finished. Ooh, they look like pig ears. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that. Big Apple Inn has been a staple in this black-owned business district since the 1930s. It became the spot where people organized during the civil rights movement and where everyone, from low-wage workers to lawyers of color, could gather for a hearty, affordable meal. And we're still going strong with the only the same five items on our menu that we started off with 83 years ago. In the 50s and 60s, Big Apple Inn was surrounded by furniture stores, live music venues, and a movie theater. Lee said that changed when segregation ended. Integration was great for the black race. You know, we were able to shop, but it was terrible for the black businessmen. When we were allowed to go to the white establishments to eat and trade, we stopped going to our own. Lee says businesses had to leave the street because their customers went to white establishments. That happened to a lot of black-owned business districts. But the Big Apple Inn wanted to stay. Yeah, we're a niche market and no competition. (laughs) Could we make more money in the suburbs? There's no question. This this is not just a street, it's a historic district. A historic district. Yeah, I've noticed that's how most people often talk about Fair Street. Yeah, you know, it's like Fair Street is treated as a piece of history, with its best days decades in the past. But while Fair Street is far from its peak in the 60s, there's at least one person who's proven it's possible to start a new business here, one that's not just surviving, but thriving. John Tier opened Johnny T's Bistro and Blues down the street about seven years ago as a restaurant in the day, a music venue at night, and a club on the weekends. And I, I give you a secret. This building here, prior to me getting here, probably had the worst stigma in the city. 
Tier says back in the day when he was a student at Jackson State University, he used to come to this club, and it wasn't the safest area. But since he took over, the building's reputation and business has turned around. And even during COVID, when people went out of business, every year our numbers are up. Before opening, Tier spent two years fixing the building up and turning the downstairs into a bistro and the upstairs into the Renaissance room. In the 50s, this is where Sammy Davis Jr., Red Fox, and they actually played in this very space. It's a space that we utilize for fundraisers, comedy shows, and often let customers dance the night away on Fridays and Saturday nights. Johnny T's is now one of the jewels of Ferris Street, a place known for good food and a well-stocked bar. Sometimes that's a shock, too, for someone that drives down Ferris Street, and then they come inside, they say, oh, and then they find out that you had this wide range of spirits. I mean, we got bottles that cost 6000 5000 4000 Yeah, so Shalina Tier says Johnny T's is proof that an entrepreneur can take one of Fair Street's buildings and turn it into a successful business. Yeah, but that's not really easy to replicate. Remember, he said it cost a lot of money to make those old, neglected buildings business ready. Yeah, and that's true. And a lot of people, they don't have the money to do that, and they're not up for taking that big risk. But just down the street, there is a family that did exactly that. I can tell you guys that I didn't think so on paper that it was going to make any sense. Yasmin Gabrielle Collins and her family came here because they have a mission. They bought a building up the block in 2020, and Collins is clear. She's not trying to open another nightclub or fast food joint on Ferris Street. She's taking a risk and opening both a health food store and a vegan cafe. New concepts for the street. It's not greasy comfort food. It's beet burgers and anti-inflammatory tea. A lot of people think about like vegan food or plant-based food and think about it being in like bougie, rich, predominantly white areas. Absolutely. We're changing that narrative. That's so crazy you would say that um, our ancestors, you know, for a long time were in charge of their care when no one else would touch them when they were enslaved. We forgot that narrative. Ferris Street is still relatively underdeveloped. On one side, there are still boarded up buildings and shattered windows. But Collins and her family decided to come here because they believe the community appreciates them, investing in the present and future of this street. Three years later, two kids later, a whole other restaurant. We're expanding very, very quickly. And now they're working on opening up a grocery store, something missing from Ferris Street. For so long, many in the community have seen Ferris Street as this failed Black-owned business district. But black business owners are working on telling another story of how this historical area is not just a relic of the past. But, Stephen, before we leave Ferris Street, there is one more thing we have to do. For the Gulf States Newsroom. I'm Shalina Chatlani. And I'm Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration among public media stations in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's AutoCorrect. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Have a good day.